Good morning, everybody. Got quiet. Good to see you all again. Hopefully you had a good week. Yes? <laughs> so let's start with prayer as we will talk this morning about preaching and corporate prayer. Um, so let's bow our heads and ask God to bless our time together. Lord, we, again, thank you for another opportunity to learn about your word and grow in knowledge and wisdom, what it means to be part of a body, uh, to grow in unity together. I pray that you remove distractions as we learn about um, expositional preaching and corporate prayer this morning. Lord, I pray that it um, resonates within our hearts uh, and convicts us to um, listen more intently and pray together with our uh, sweet little body here at Pacific Hope. Um, bless our time and um, lift up this up in your son's name, amen. So this morning, um, as I said, it's the foundation for unity um, is our topic today and, the, and it's on preaching and prayer. So in introduction, uh, the life of our church should be distinctly supernatural. Uh, that is, when people look in our church, they should see in the depth and breadth of our relationships that is beyond what they can explain through simply a natural relationship, because we are uniting in Christ. When we say community, it's a common unity, community. So our unity is in Christ, and that is our common thing that we bond together in. So God revealed his normal means or primary means of grace for doing the supernatural. In particular, this morning, we want to look at God's supernatural means of building his church through prayer and preaching. Preaching is one normal means of supernatural grace. In Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Supernatural love comes from supernatural faith, correct? So preaching is an ordinary means by which God gives his supernatural gift of faith to his people. Then, as I mentioned, the other means of grace that we want to look at is prayer. Jesus told us in John 14 that whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So another way that we see God do a supernatural work in our churches is to approach him in prayer, knowing that in Christ, God will hear our praise, our confession, our thanksgiving, and our requests. For our time together this morning, I want to look at each of these in turn. So how we can be a community in this church with a supernatural, how can we in this church be a community that portrays that supernatural unity? So number one, it's through the preaching and hearing of God's word. And two, it's through prayer, and we'll start with preaching God's word. So first of all, preaching matters. The fact that preaching is God's mean, God's mean to accomplish the supernatural shouldn't come as a surprise to us. After all, God has always, always created his people by his word. In the beginning, God created all things by the power of his word. He created the people of Israel by the word of his law on Mount Sinai. God brings life by his word. For example, we see in Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, one of my favorite chapters in Ezekiel. It says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. 
And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Imagine a man speaking dead bodies to life. It's God's word. So God's word spoken by Ezekiel is what brings his people to life, which is exactly what we see in the New Testament. Jesus, God's word, the logos made flesh, taught God's people. And it's Peter's preaching of the gospel in Acts 2 that first ignites the church and the apostles faithfully teaching that sustains it. So God's word here, don't miss this. God's word is central to the identity of his people. God's word is central to the identity of those who call themselves Christians. Christianity is not primarily about spiritual experience or about warm community or acts of service, though it, th those things are important and, and that does happen. But it is first and foremost a message that can be supported based on historical fact. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Christ died for our sins according what? To the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to, to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. This is the good news, the gospel. And preaching that message is the source of our life as a church and eternal life for each of us. So secondly, expositional preaching is especially important. You can have preaching and see nothing supernatural as a result. Not all preaching is faithful, is it? And not all people are faithful listeners. So you can have preaching and see nothing as a supernatural result. Just think of all the people who listened to Jesus himself and then went away. They, they were unchanged. So first, I want to talk about what kind of preaching should be seen as normal. And then what happens when that preaching meets or joins together with a community of God's people. So what kind of preaching will supernaturally create God's people out of nothing? In a word, preaching that is expositional, um, it, that exposes, expositional, it exposes a passage of scripture to us. When we say that a sermon is expositional or expository, uh, we mean that it is designed to explain a particular passage of scripture so that the main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. The alternative, uh, we, I think some of us have come from this, uh, topical preaching. Uh, it's very different than expositional. It's, it's where the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate in the sermon, not necessarily the word of God, and may or may not use the main passage of scripture to, to support that point as well. So topical preaching is not necessarily bad on occasion. We, we do that for Advent. We, we do topical preaching during Christmas time, and we talk about the birth and why Christ is here. That's beneficial. Um, but, preaching, but a preaching schedule that is predominantly ex expositional will grow a congregation better and with more lasting results. Why is that? Because as a preacher preaches expositionally, moving through successive passages of Scripture week after week, the congregation better understands Scripture that is in, in its overall context. 
And so let's, let's elaborate on these by uh, a few points. There's three specifically on expositional preaching. Number one is when a pastor preaches through a, pas- a series of passages, basing each sermon on the main point of the passage of scripture that he's particularly preaching on rather than a topic, God's word sets the agenda for the sermon, which is very important. Very practically, expositional preaching forces a preacher to address verses that he may be uncomfortable with or don't fit as cleanly into his theology. Um, Some pastors do not do this on purpose for that very reason, because it makes them uncomfortable. So they do not have to preach a verse or a portion of scripture they don't like. Um, it's, it's a good way to kind of sidestep around um, hard, hard parts of Scripture. So number two, expositional preaching is a better way of teaching the Bible. When a pastor preaches a passage of Scripture in context, taking the point of the passage as the main point of the message, he and the congregation often hear from God things they did not know when the sermon began or the study began. So you learn together as a body. And then thirdly, expositional preaching teaches a congregation how to read and study the Bible for themselves. When the sermon week after week teaches the congregation to be faithful, um, faithful explainers and appliers of God's word, the Bible will seep into every aspect of our lives together. Does that all make sense, hopefully? We're all, we're all on the same page? Good. So the next one is preaching, God's word plus God's people. So if we just stop there, we still haven't traced out all that preaching does in a church. Uh, preaching isn't just exposition of God's word. It is God's word for God's people. It is God's word for God's people. So what happens when God, God's word comes together with God's people? So there's also three things to consider here. The first one is application. Most obviously, we apply God's word, or we should, Consider the weight of responsibility that rests on our shoulders. So us who are privileged enough to hear gospel-centered preaching each and every week. I pray that, that we in this church will see the fruit of such preaching in our lives. And that is a prayer that, uh, that the deacons and elders and hopefully you have for one another. There are some things we can do better to apply the sermons. We can read through the passage in our own time during the week. In our study times, we can pray for the preacher and for our application. Uh, We can take notes. But even beyond those things, we should think about the sermon application as a corporate endeavor instead of an individual one. So if, if we change our focus, it helps us think of the body and the unity that we have here in all listening to the same message and passage. So a good question to consider is, are you, a faith, are you working in a faithful, humble way to help apply the truth to, to you and to receive to the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do they know your life well enough, and do you know theirs, that you can help them apply a sermon in ways that they may not have thought of? So that, that forces us to have to talk to one another, doesn't it? A few ideas of how you might do this. One is talk after service during our time of fellowship or go out to lunch together, and, you, and the, the focus of the conversation could be the sermon. Um, not, I mean, we don't want to have a false, uh, the, the week one, what we talked about, a false unity um, on having uh, unity in our jobs or sports. 
um, and, and have that be the main topic of our focus. Those things aren't wrong to talk about, but if we're coming out of an expositional sermon and we sat for 30 to 45 minutes under hopefully a biblical sermon, um, hopefully that generates within us something that we want and desire to talk about with one another. Um, number two, utilize the discussion questions emailed each week um, to the small groups. Uh, thirdly, in discipling relationships, you can use the sermons and, and what we've heard. Uh, fourthly, in family devotionals. Uh, and lastly, rather than trying to remember pages and pages of notes, hopefully that we're all taking during the sermon, um, pick one or two things each week and that you will pray, pray, prayerfully apply to your life. And talk with others about them. Talk with others about, about the sermon. So God gives us a feast each week, so, so our prayer is that we put it to work, right? We don't want to just be hearers, we want to be doers of the word. So second point is uh, contextualization. So that's not the only thing that happens when, pre um, when preaching happens in the context of community. The, the word of God is applied to particular needs of our congregation, to our shortcomings, to the way that God has been move, moving amongst us, with our particular dem demographics in mind. So each church is different, but if you put it in context of our church and listening to an expositional sermon, that could feed and, and encourage our body in ways that it wouldn't in other bodies, right? So keep it in context. And lastly, number three is authority. Preaching in a church should explain and interpret and apply scripture. Now. We know, so in one sense, its authority, its authority rests on Scripture, but we know that as sinful humans, every man that gets behind this pulpit or any pulpit is a sinner, and we can err in our explanation or in our interpretation and implying inerrant Scripture, right? You have a, a man who has fallen trying to portray something that's perfect. So preaching goes beyond that. You see, preaching in a church is backed by the united testimony of an entire community of Christians, which is us, which is you guys, each with their own sins, but indwelt by God's giving, God's life-giving spirit. When the church works as it should, then the word, words preached on Sunday morning are being confirmed by the elders and ultimately by the congregation at large. If a preacher began preaching what the congregation understands to be contrary to scripture, we have a duty. The elders and the members have a duty to act, right? We shouldn't just sit idly by. We have to stay consistent with what scripture says. In 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 3, Paul warns Timothy that some may begin to demand false teaching. If we remember that scripture, it says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting what? To have their ears tickled. For they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And thus we have an extra confidence in the truth of what we hear preached in a healthy church because it is backed by the testimony of a community of Christians. Right? We hold one another accountable. The more you know the community of the church, the more you can trust its preaching and good preaching will fuel a good community. It, it fuels unity. So we can be part of the supernatural community of the local church through preaching 
as we listen to good preaching, apply that preaching to ourselves and to others and support good preaching, but it also happens through prayer. And that's gonna be, uh, we're moving to that topic, uh, the topic of prayer. So the rest of our time, we'll be thinking and contemplating prayer as a community in the church, specifically as it pertains to our local church here. I believe we all understand prayer is important, but when we think about prayer, what's usually the first thing comes to mind? It's usually for oneself, you know, in private prayer. But the Bible also very clearly calls on Christians to pray together. We are supposed to and called to pray together. Think of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew um, chapter 6 and, and listen to the terms that he used. Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you see the corporate language there? When Jesus gave us a model for prayer, he put in a form that commends it even more for our use together as a body than for, for private use. One of the primary ways we pray as a church is when we gather as a church. So let's start with why congregational or corporate prayer is important. So why is why is Corporate prayer are important. Number one, God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. We pray together quite simply because we absolutely need to. We pray out of need because we need God to act. Just like we see in the book of Acts, there the early church had a number of obstacles to overcome, including persecution, um, constant persecution as well. Yet it continued, the church, the, the church continued to expand. Several times we see that when the early church faced persecution, it gathered together to what? To pray. So in Acts 4, we read that Peter and John were released from jail and the church gathered to hear their report. You would think that with their leaders in prison, people would just pray on their own rather than risking coming together, wouldn't they? But corporate prayer was important enough that the believers gathered together to pray together praising God for his sovereignty and asking for boldness in the face of threats. Then Luke tells us in Acts 4, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was, was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly through corporate prayer. And this is not limited to uh, particular circumstances of the early church. Don't, don't miss that. Though throughout history, we've seen God's work to be especially active when his people join together to pray. So it's very important that, it for, that we understand it furthers his kingdom and it helps encourage us together as a body. Secondly, God is glorified through the unity of our prayer. As we've heard in, in previous classes, unity among God's people glorifies God. That's why in Ephesians Four, Paul calls on the entire church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We must not forget that. Praying together is one way that we satisfy this command by visibly uniting together as God's people to pray. The unity we demonstrate when we seek God together in prayer is particularly striking. 
Two things to note in particular here. First is praying together is a means of God's grace in which we grow spiritually as we hear others commit to prayer. And secondly, corporate prayer can also serve as a powerful witness to non-believers who see the love and commitment that Christians have for one another in their prayers. So thirdly, corporate prayer unites us. Not only does corporate prayer benefit from our unity, it actually helps to create unity. So it's perpetual there. It benefits from our, we benefit from our, that unity and it creates unity. When we pray together, we are in some ways leaving behind our own selfish desires and focusing on God and others. That's very important. When we, when we meet together to pray, it really does take the focus off self. So, for example, on Sunday mornings, we pray for each other in various ways. We thank God for his grace in people's lives. We pray for others' um, physical health, for their spiritual well-being. We pray for their ministries. We pray for our deacons and elders. We continually pray for many, many different aspects of this church and this body. Both praying for others and hearing others pray for us naturally draws us closer together as we learn more about each other and as we feel the effect of those prayers um, in the work done by the Holy Spirit and we see those prayers lived out um, being fulfilled or um, being you know, told no, because that is an answer to prayer, isn't it? So one idea, one idea for how we can support that unity is consider if there are prayer requests or testimonies of God's grace you could share with the congregation that could draw us together and help us as a body to marvel at the power and mercy of God. Think of corporate prayer for you as a service to the congregation. I don't know if you've ever thought of it in that way. Us, corporate, us corporately praying for an individual does unite us, and it's a service to the body. For some of us, that might feel a bit strange because we're, we're fairly private people um, who think of others praying for us as a burden on them, but that's not at all how the Bible tells us to view it. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul is sharing about a particularly difficult situation. Um, starting in verse 8, it says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. But in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining and helpful and helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. That last verse is very important for us to remember, so that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Was it a burden for believers to pray for Paul? Absolutely not. It was a blessing to, to lift him up and share in the glory of God's continual deliverance of that brother. What if Paul had decided that his problems weren't worth bothering the church so that we wouldn't have some portions of scripture? 
And that is hugely beneficial for us as a body. So we should thank God that he did not withhold that. So think about how you can share your needs with others so that we may be drawn together as believers and encouraged by God's amazing work in our lives. So a couple questions. Are you struggling in your faith? That's something that you can share. Are you struggling at work? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling in your singleness? Being transparent with others in the body gives the church opportunity to intercede in prayer for you. The thing that gets in the way is pride. Um, that's something that we all struggle with. We don't like people to know our problems or our sins. But as a body, we are called to bear one another's burdens and lift one another up in prayer and support and come alongside one another. So after we see God's work in other people's lives, then we are able to all able to praise God as our prayers are answered. Allow, allow others to bring you before our Lord in prayer. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to others. Number four, corporate, teacher, cor corporate prayer teaches us how to pray. This is a big one. Much like one of the disciples who asked Jesus to teach them to pray, many believers today desire to know how to pray. Sure, they know how to, how to cry for help and how to be thankful, and those are great parts of prayer. They really are. But there are also more aspects to prayer that we can exercise in. One recommendation for corporate prayer is to follow the ACTS model. I think we maybe have all heard this. Um, ACTS, the acronym, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. Though it may not always be in that order, um, and, and why is that? Because we pray together in part to teach ourselves how to pray. And, and let's explain that for a second. It's, it's a good discipline just to focus on praising him. One of those letters. So our prayers of praise teach us what it means to, to focus our gaze on the beauty of God and to delight in him. S similarly, confession is uncomfortable. And we quickly, normally as we're confessing, we quickly shift to asking God to change us. Um, so we don't dwell on the confessions. Uh, I know that's true for me. Um, we, we like to kind of change the topic. Uh, but when we do that, we lose the opportunity to explore our hearts and acknowledge what's really there in our confessions. Having an extended time just to confess sin makes the assurance of pardon that we read from the Bible and the responding song that we sing because of that pardon, that much more joyful. Do you agree? Amen. And we learn, and we can learn from the, the prayers and of petition from others and thanks as well. In our prayers of petition, we pray for much more than just our own needs, which is where we're tempted to focus, naturally, we pray for our government, we pray for the persecuted church, for missions, for evangelism, for, for our church here at Pacific Hope, and for us to apply the truth of preaching in our own lives. That's all done corporately. So if you do want to grow in your prayer life, all of us, if we want to grow in our prayer life, I highly encourage you to meet with us at 8 o'clock before Sunday school in the back corner over here for corporate prayer. You will hear our dear brothers and sisters 
praying faithfully and fervently for this church. It is a sweet time. You will hear how some talk to God like he's standing right next to us in the room. It's amazing. You will hear powerful prayers of strength and wisdom. It teaches you different aspects and different way people pray. You will hear prayers asking for grace and mercy, thanking God that his mercies are new every morning because everybody struggles. It teaches you you're not alone. It teaches that other people are going through the same thing you are and that we, you can unite in that because God's grace is sufficient and that his word is our foundation that we stand on. And all of these things happen in corporate prayer. So it's refreshing and encouraging and humbling to hear these dear saints come before the throne of God and pray. And there's no pressure to pray if you do come. I want to encourage you to. But if you do come and join us, you will grow in your prayer life. I guarantee it. A few other important benefits to note. It takes the focus off of you and it puts it on God and his people, the church. It puts the God and his people and church in focus. This helps us put things in proper perspective and being humble before others and God. It prepares you to receive God's word. It helps you put you in the, in the right frame of mind to be an expositional listener, which is important as we sit under expositional preaching. It helps you be sensitive to the needs of others as you pray with and for them. This is living out God's word in bearing one another's burdens. Okay, so corporate prayer, it's, it's extremely beneficial and important for the soul. So secondly, praying for our church. We, before we end our time together, and we give you a few thoughts on how you can pray daily for our church, and my hope is that these things become part of, of, of our daily routine, we will see wonderful things happen in our church. So number one, pray for the preacher. Please pray for the preacher. Think of Paul writing to the Ephesians and pray, he says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. He's asking others to pray for him so God can use him in a mighty way. And he, and he goes on, says, for which, which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to. Amen. If the great apostle Paul need, needed prayer to speak, certainly those in the pulpit do as well. I, and just a side note, it's, it is, we are fallen men. We get behind this pulpit knowing we're not worthy. <laughs> knowing that by God's grace alone, we can preach his word. And it's through the power of the spirit that changes people and not us. All we have to do is not mess up the message. And we do our best. Okay, so the, pray for the preacher because he goes through things um, daily and sometimes weekly and struggling, and then they have to come and, and try to feed God's people. Um, they are men, uh, fallen men, who are in need of grace and mercy. Um, number two, pray through the directory. This is a good one. By praying through the pictures of the members of our church, you'll get to know them faster. And just like Paul prayed for the Roman Christians he'd never met, Praying daily for people you don't have a particular connection to just because they're members of your church is wonderfully honoring to our Lord. 
now as our church, we've transitioned to church center um, and it's a digital directory now, which is beneficial because you can have it with you on your phone if you have the app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, we, one of us can help you. Um, we, we can get you signed in and create a profile. But um, if there is a profile for you, if you're a member on this church, you can go through and pray for our body and you can always have the, the uh, directory with you. It's a great way to pray for people who you do not know. Uh, thirdly, pray for our church as a whole. Our tendency is to focus our prayers on individuals, um, and we can unintentionally disregard the church as a body. I'm in no way suggesting that we shouldn't pray for individuals, because we absolutely should, but I am encouraging us to pray for the church as a whole as well. It should be just as important. We together are one in Christ, and that unity is a gospel witness to those who walk into the church, okay? And as such, we must pray for the continued unity of this church. Much like in the Lord's Prayer, pray for us as a body using corporate language like we and us and our. And on the last page of the handout here, on the back, is a list of suggested areas to pray for our church. And this is a, this is a good list, but you know, it's, it's, not, um, it's not everything. So as needs arise and, and our church and the, um, the community is going through different things, uh, we can pray specifically for our church. So how do we expect the supernatural to be at work in our church? So we celebrate the regular preaching of God's word and we pray. It's, it's very simple. It's God's primary means of grace um, to show the supernatural work of his spirit. Preaching and praying. And those are the ways that, that God does that. Um, it's his normal means of grace. And that's it for today. Kind of blew through it, but uh, is there any questions? Um, I do encourage you guys to join us at 8 o'clock. I, I know it's early on a Sunday morning. <laughs>